God, we, may we just truly put the things that uh, are bogging us down and the things that are clouding our minds. And today, as we do come to your table, because of Christ, may we just be a joyful time and a time of celebration at these truths that we've been atoned for, that we've been bought with a price. And we can boldly come before the throne. In Christ Jesus, thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. There was a song by Andrew Peterson. Uh, thank Hob uh, and Chad for, for uh, turning me on to him. That Caveman's Call also uh, redid a few years ago. Um, the first line of that song is, I am the woman at the well. And that song continues to go through several characters of the Bible saying, I am that person, I am that person, I am that person. The point being that we all can identify with those people because like them, we're broken. Like them, we are often unaware like them, we are unable in our own strength and ability or even some kind of goodness to come into His presence. And we need the God of the universe to reach down and touch us, to reach down and pursue us. That's the point of that song. But I sing that, I think, but, but I'm not the woman at the well. First of all, I'm not a woman. Second of all, I'm not a Samaritan. Uh, third, I haven't had five spouses, and uh, the lady I'm living with now currently is my wife. Um, so can I really relate to her? I mean, can I sing that song and understand what Andrew Peterson is talking about? Uh, my hope is that if we finish today, uh, that you can relate to her. That you might be able to, if you heard that song, uh, sing along and, and say, I am the woman at the well. So if you will turn with me uh, this morning to John chapter 4. Uh, we continue our uh, communion Sunday uh, kind of journey through John's gospel as we look at uh, different aspects of who Jesus is. There is an outline in the bulletin to help you follow along. I'm going to read quite a bit, actually, this morning, um, all the way through verse 42. We're going to begin in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This isn't the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth that it contains. But we ask that your spirit would... Keep us this morning from distraction. Help us to hear and be attentive. God, we also ask that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us, and that we might be changed because of that. 
And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, one of the problems with, with narrative is, especially true stories, is they don't always uh, follow nice, neat patterns. Uh, you know, preaching through a, a letter, everything's logical, it's sequential. Uh, you read a story, especially a story that involves Jesus. Well, and sometimes he does things out of what we would say is the right order. So uh, this morning I'm going to skip around a little bit. Um, so I think there's a structure to this passage that's, that's not necessarily in chronological order. See, the woman has a problem, and I think we have that problem as well. Jesus offers her a solution, and I think he offers us that solution as well. And then Jesus challenges his disciples to apply something, and I think he challenges us to do that same thing. So let's look uh, this morning. Before we get too far, though, some background information. We're going to back up about a thousand years. Uh, King Solomon, his, he died in 931 B.C. His reign ended. And his son, Rehoboam, took over. And he was not, well, he was not as politically astute as his father. Uh, made some poor decisions. And ten of the twelve tribes of Israel says, we are not following this guy. And so the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. Solomon kept control of the, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and the other ten stayed north and said, we want nothing to do with you. Set up their own places of worship, uh, and for the next about 200 years, kind of thumbed their nose at God. Uh, and as God promised, um, he sent the Assyrians in to uh, overpower them, destroy them, take them captive, and many of those people he carted off into exile. But the Assyrians had a policy of taking people they put into exile and scattering them in lots of different places. If we take all the people, say, who speak the same language and think the same way and we split them up, uh, there's less chance that there'll be rebellion. So as he moved a lot of folks out of the promised land, he brought a lot of other folks into the promised land and they intermarried with the Israelites that uh, the king of Assyria left. And that's where we get the Samaritans. That's where they came from. In about 500 B.C., they built a temple on top of uh, Mount Gerizim. They only accepted the first five books of this Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They thought the rest of it was uh, not for them. And so they built this temple on Mount Gerizim because that was the place when they entered the Promised Land with Joshua uh, that the blessings for the nation uh, were announced from. Someone went up on the mountain and, and read out the blessings that God would do if they obeyed. So they set up a temple there. About 300 years later, the Jews didn't like that very much and came in and destroyed it. But uh, up until the time of Christ, uh, the Samaritans continued to worship on that mountain. The Jews thought the Samaritans were unclean. They really wanted as little to do with them as possible. And it would have been unusual even if the woman at the well wasn't a Samaritan for Jesus to have had anything to do with her since they were not related. And especially even since it was at a well. There's some evidence it seems that uh, a well, because that's where Jacob found his wife and that's where Isaac's wife was found by a well, that uh, there's some evidence that the well was the kind of the local pickup place. So for Jesus to be talking to this woman that was not related to him, um, the original hearers of this message would have gone, 
ooh, that's interesting. And we find that people thought that's interesting. You read down, she's surprised in verse 9. Why are you asking me for a drink? I'm a Jew. I mean, you're a Jonah Samaritan woman. Uh, and then the disciples were surprised as well when they show up in verse 27. So that's kind of some background to this passage. So what was the woman's problem? Well, she had two problems. The first was bad behavior. She was a woman that was involved in bad behavior. Jesus always does a great job when he's talking to people of getting to the root of the problem. Whatever they begin talking about. I did it with Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus comes and asks him a question and Jesus does a good job of, of, of steering the conversation to the root of the problem. Nicodemus, your problem is you're a teacher of Israel, but you fail to understand that there is a spiritual component to being part of the kingdom of God. He does it here as well. Uh, they begin talking about water and getting water from the well. And, and so Jesus continues to talk to her and he says, you know, before we continue this conversation, why don't you go get your husband and, and come back? See, he knows what the real problem is. And she tells kind of a half-truth, uh, well, I don't have a husband. And she says, yeah, you're right, you don't. In fact, you've had five and... The guy that you're now living with, he's not your husband at all. This woman was seeking fulfillment. This woman was seeking satisfaction uh, in relationship after relationship after relationship. Her idea of fulfillment came with uh, whoever the next guy was. And I think the text gives hints that, that her whole world was wrapped up in that. Notice when she goes and finally speaks to the other people. Verse 29, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Well, he didn't tell her all the things that, that she had done. He just mentioned her relationships. But in her mind, her world was wrapped up in her existence. Her satisfaction was wrapped up in the fact that this is how she had lived her life. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Seeking satisfaction and not finding it. And the question for us this morning is, where do we do that? Is it in relationships? Are we seeking some sort of permanent satisfaction in relationships? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's in some form of some position, some position of power. Maybe it's in where we live, the car we drive. Where are we seeking to be satisfied apart from God? Whatever that is, whether that's in an activity, some sort of entertainment, a relationship, a job, some sin that you can't get rid of, whatever that is, you can identify with the woman at the well because that's where she was, I believe. Caught in this cycle of one man after another trying to be satisfied. 
but that wasn't her only problem. She also had bad theology. We mentioned that. She was part of the Samaritan. I don't know how religious she was, but she knew at least the Sunday school answers. It appears that she tries to change the subject when they start talking about her five husbands and the guy she's living with. In verse 19, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Let's talk about religious stuff for a while. I don't like that personal stuff. Um, we say, and you can see Mount Gerizim from Jacob's well, we say that mountain is where you're supposed to worship, and you Jews say it's supposed to be in Jerusalem. In her mind, she has God in a box. God is, in my mind, to be worshipped on that mountain. I admit, Jesus, that your people say God's to be worshipped over there, but whatever, in her mind, God is limited to a location. He's limited to a place. See, I think if she thought that, that God was other than that, then he might have entered into her brokenness. He might have entered into her home. He might have entered into her relationships. But I don't see any evidence of that. And as we talked about, her, her understanding of God's revelation was limited. She didn't buy this whole thing. She only bought part of it. Her Bible would have ended on page 175 in mine. Granted, at that time, Jesus has only went uh, this far, right? We don't have this yet. But there's a whole lot of revelation, a whole lot of details about who God is, what His character is like, what He requires of His people that, that her and the rest of the Samaritans were missing. So the question is, are we like the woman at the well? Do we limit God to maybe this building? When you walk through the door on Sunday morning, do you does your behavior change? In uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee's novel, um, the next door neighbor was talking to the little boy and... Uh, the little boy, she asked him a question and he said about, about his dad in Atticus Finch and he said, well, no, he, he does the same thing whether we're in the house or out in the street. And she says, well, of course he does. And they went on and talked about his character never changed based on whether anybody saw him or not. Atticus Finch was a man of character because in the house with the doors closed and the windows down, he behaved the same as he did in town, in the courtroom, on the street, in the neighborhood. So the question I have for us, for me, is does my behavior change based on where I am? If, if I thought that God or someone else was looking a little closer, would I do something a little different? When we walk through those doors on, on Sunday morning, do, do things change for us? Do we think that God really is here, but not in the car on the way to work, or not on the couch, or in the office? And then second, while we looked at those words a minute ago, and, and as those of us who, who come here and call this church home, we, I, I assume, believe that statement. 
but how well do you apply it? Do you take this book seriously? Not just do we believe that it, it is God's Word, but are we looking into it? Are, are you spending time in all of this book? We went to a church for several years where the pastor rarely strayed from the Gospels. Nothing wrong with preaching out of the Gospels a lot. But that was all we ever got. There's a lot of revelation there because Jesus is the revelation of the Father. But there's a lot of other stuff in here too that's important. So are you personally spending time in all of this book? Do you have a plan to, to read through the Bible on a regular basis? Every six months, every year, every two years, it doesn't matter the time. It doesn't matter the time frame. The question is, as you go through life, are you availing yourself to the revelation that is available to you on a regular basis? And if you're not, let me challenge you to do that, to begin to do that. You don't have to wait to the new year. You can go online and find a, a Read to the Bible program. It starts January 1st. Well, you can start on July 5th if you want to. Or actually July 4th, that'd be tomorrow. You could start on July 3rd, that'd be today. You could go home and say, I'm going to start today. And whether that's starting in Genesis and going through Revelation, or whether that's there's some that you read a little bit of this and a little bit of that, let me encourage you, let me challenge you to, if you're not, say, you know, I want this to be real to me. I don't want to just say I believe it's true. I, I want to act like it is, and I want to know it. So that's her problem. She had a behavior problem. She had a theology problem. But Jesus offered her a solution. And the first solution he offered her was before we even knew she had a problem. He says, I've got something for you. It's called living water. Now, she would not have understood that. Uh, in, in that day, in that culture, in that time, living water was simply moving water. It was just a, another word for something, a spring, a creek. I don't have to come and, and dip in that. Jacob's well was about 100 feet deep. I don't have to come here and dip the bucket down, undo the rope and pull it back up and carry the water jar back. This guy's got some, some moving water somewhere that I can just come and hold it in and go back home. That's better stuff anyway than a well. But at the beginning this morning, I read something out of Jeremiah 2. And uh, God told the nation through Jeremiah, you've committed two evils. You've forsaken me, the fountain of, and that's those two words, living water. What Jesus was offering the woman was the Spirit of God. Something that would truly satisfy her. Not what she was seeking. Relationship after relationship after relationship. In John's Gospel, water is often symbolic of the Spirit. What Jesus was offering her was the Spirit of the living God to come in and transform her and satisfy her. Jesus says in Matthew, those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. The question is, are you hungering and thirsting for the right thing? Right? Are we hungering and thirsting for possessions, position, or power, relationships? Do we hunger and thirst after sin, or do we hunger and thirst after God? The solution is the Spirit of God dwelling in you.
Only that will satisfy you. Only that will fill the need that you have. None of the other things that we chase in life will ever truly satisfy. It makes us just want more. So the first solution he offers for her behavior is the Spirit of God. You can have that. I can give it to you. The good news is he can give that to us as well. And that's why we celebrate this table this morning because God sent his son to die on our behalf that we could have forgiveness. And then he sent his spirit to us to empower us and strengthen us. But he also offers a solution for her bad theology. They begin to have this conversation and, and first he addresses the issue of location. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, verse 21, you will worship the Father. In John's Gospel, an hour almost always refers to the cross, to the crucifixion, to the, the event that the whole Gospel leads up to. An hour is coming. The cross is coming. And when it does... You won't have to go through a priest or a temple to get to the Father. The writer of Hebrews says we can boldly come before the throne because of what Christ did on the cross. We celebrate the fruit of the vine and the bread, the body and the blood of Christ because when He died, that veil was torn in two. Access to the Father was open. The solution to her problem of is it on this mountain or is it in Jerusalem, was solved. You can come to the Father in this building, but you can also come to the Father in the car on the way home or the way to work, in the boardroom or in the bedroom, on the couch, on the back porch. It really doesn't matter where you are. God has not localized it. He says... In verse 24, God is spirit. In other words, God's not this place. Right? Isaiah, Chad mentioned earlier, saw that vision of God dwelling in the temple. If God really showed up here in, in a physical presence that we could manifest, we wouldn't all be sitting some of us taking notes, some of us smiling, some of us... We wouldn't be like that, right? What did Chad read? You see, when God shows up, when God showed up, He assaulted all five of Isaiah's senses. Isaiah felt the building shake. Isaiah heard the, and I appreciate that, the non-monotone rendering of, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He saw the temple filled with smoke. He didn't really get to experience God because there was just too much in the way. What did we say so far? He felt, he heard, he saw. What am I missing? Oh, he smelled. The temple was filled with smoke. The sense of smell is one of the most powerful 
senses that we have. It, you can smell something that you may not have smelled for years and years, and it will bring up a memory of something when you were there. Reminds me of, in John's Gospel at the end, Peter is rounded, and John uses the term the charcoal fire when he denied Peter. Several days later, they're on a beach up in Galilee, and they get out of the boat on the beach, and there's Jesus, and John says, and he had a charcoal fire burning. And what would have immediately entered Peter's mind, smelling that charcoal fire, was, last time I smelled that, I denied my Lord. And that's where Jesus took him and assured him that he still had a plan for his life. And then Isaiah tasted. The, the angel took a coal and touched it to his lips. He tasted the, the burning of that. All five of his senses. You know, it's probably a good thing that God doesn't physically manifest himself here or we would be like Isaiah. Woe is me for I am undone. The good news is we can still come into his presence anytime, any place, anywhere. He also solves the problem of, of revelation. The woman was limited in her understanding of who God was. And we get the revelation of the Father through Jesus Christ. He comes and He reveals the Father to us. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. We get truth from, He said, from the Jews, right? From the Old Testament, the whole thing. But also as Jesus walked and talked and acted, we see a representation of, of what the Father's like, what His character is like, how He responds to people, how He cares for those who are broken. So He solves the woman's problem, and the good news is He solves our problem as well. We don't need to sit around and wonder, I wonder what God's like. We have a complete revelation. Probably not right. This, we can't put God in a box either here and say, this is all God is, but this is certainly all we need to know right now. To say God is limited to the 1,000 pages in here would probably be a little short-sighted. He's so much more than that, but this is sufficient for us to know Him. It is sufficient for us to honor Him. It is sufficient for us to have hope that there is something better than this life. What's interesting is John doesn't tell us what happens to the woman. Yeah, she goes back and she says to the people, this, this isn't the Messiah, is it? And, and actually the way that is phrased, she's expecting a no answer. We don't know if she ever really buys into the fact that Jesus gives her living water. She doesn't come up again in this gospel. We don't know if she's part of that new church that forms in Samaria in the book of Acts. We don't know. I think that's on purpose. Because I think we read that and we I wonder what happens to her. It appears that she's undergone some transformation. But I don't know. And I think that's on purpose because as I look at this and wonder about her, I think that's supposed to make me wonder about me. Do I get it? 
Have I bought into the fact that Jesus can give me living water? Have I bought into the fact that he's the full revelation of God? That song that we mentioned at the beginning where it starts out, I am the woman at the well. The chorus kind of mirrors or is an echo of what Jesus says on the cross. It says, my God, my God, why hast thou accepted me? You took my sin and wrapped me in your robe and your ring. Uh, a reference to the story of the prodigal son. We really are all just like that woman. Whether in our past or maybe some of us still now, engaging in bad behavior, trying to find satisfaction apart from God. Maybe ignoring part of, of God's revelation because, well, it's a little uncomfortable or it's a little hard or I don't really understand it. And we need what God has to offer. The good news is, is that He did offer. The good news is that He did send His Son. The good news is, as we celebrate this morning, is that He died on a cross for you and for me that we might have that living water, the Spirit of the living God dwelling in us. What Isaiah saw in the temple that overwhelmed him is now available for us for all that we need. And I wonder sometimes if we just take that too cavalierly that we just say, yeah, God's Spirit dwells in me. My challenge to you this morning as we come and partake of the bread and the wine together is that we would think about that. Does that overwhelm us? Should it overwhelm us? That the God of the universe would allow Himself in, in some sense that I don't understand to to dwell in the woman at the well. To take up residence in, in my heart, who is no different from her, who spends time seeking satisfaction in places apart from Him. And so I would like for you to do something for me this morning before we take, is to spend some time in prayer and ask God, God, is there something that I am seeking? Is there something that I'm pursuing to satisfy the longings of my soul apart from you? Would you reveal that to me? God, is there part of your revelation that I am ignoring? Is there part of your revelation that just makes me too uncomfortable to deal with? God, have I in some way, some form, some fashion put you in a box and said, here's where you belong, instead of allowing you to be, for me, the God of the universe, available anytime, anyplace. And then ask him for forgiveness for that, and then praise him because he does forgive you. This is a celebration. This should be the most joyful time for any believer to come and be allowed to remember what Christ has done for us. It's a celebration. So as you talk to Him, 
Don't forget to end thanking Him and praising Him for what He has done for us. Would you pray? And then we'll partake together in a moment. One more last question. So what? What do we do with that? Well, the disciples came back from town. And Jesus, after they questioned him about, why don't you eat? Oh, I've got some food you don't know about. It's doing my Father's will. And, guess what, guys? I've got something for you, too. You see, those of us who have been forgiven, <clears throat> who have accepted what Christ has done for us, we're not supposed to just sit and be happy and smile and go, that's great. It is great. That's wonderful. It is wonderful. I'm so happy. You should be happy. But if that's all there is, there's other ways to go about that. Picture with me a garden. Row after row of tomato vines. And you see as much red as you do green. Jesus says, guys, go pick. I know you didn't plant anything. I know you haven't spent any time pulling any weeds. I know you didn't drag the hose out day after day to make sure they had enough water. Other people did that. Guess what? You get to reap all that you see. Jesus says, Someone else sowed, and we know from other places in the gospel that uh, the sower went out to sow. And he explained that. Who, who was that? Who went out to sow? The Lord, right? God is the one that is working in hearts. God is the one who is, who is stirring things up, and he allows you and me to be the conduit of grace, so to speak, that when that person asks a question or that person expresses an interest in knowing God more, you and I have the opportunity to reap, to help them understand that there's living water available. And that's the, really the application of this passage is, are you willing to go out into the world, even to those people that you might consider Samaritans, those people that you might consider... Uh, really want anything to do with them, right? Jesus prepared them for a two-day stay with these unclean people by sending those poor disciples into town to buy food. What, Jesus? You, you want us to go into an unclean place and buy food from unclean people and, and bring it back to eat? Really? He said, yeah, that's okay. And then they learn, guess what? We're going to stay and hang out with these guys for two days. We're going to sleep in their houses. We're going to eat their food. We're going to share with them the love of God. See, my spirit's been working, working through that, that gal who went and told them in lots of other ways. And you get to see the benefits of that. You get to pull that ripe tomato off the vine and enjoy that. So our challenge for us is, are we willing to do the same thing? To go out and look, 
Sometimes you have to walk into the woods and find that blackberry bush that has the right blackberries on it, right? And sometimes there are thorns involved in that. And sometimes there's high weeds, which involves chiggers. Right? Sometimes it's hard to harvest. But it's worth it. And so my challenge for you this week is continue to spend time. Ask God, am I pursuing satisfaction somewhere besides you? Am I taking advantage of your full revelation? Have I put you in a box in some way? And then God, show me where you have been sowing seed and let me be a part of that harvest. My hope and prayer is that you have a wonderful, wonderful week living in the, the grace and the wonder of our God. Over the next couple of months, we are going to spend some time in the Psalms. Uh, look at uh, several different Psalms in July and August. So I uh, hope you'll come back and enjoy that with us. Y'all have a great day. You are dismissed.